What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And as always, you can find the show on wonderful podcast apps like Himalaya. It's a new one. You should check it out. But you, if you don't like it, you can always find it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, anywhere you find all of your favorite shows. And if you don't like scrolling through podcast apps, you can always just ask your smart device like Siri or Amazon Alexa, hey, play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And if you listen to that most recent episode, then you know that we are heavily into draft time, but we also had a couple of odds and ends from free agency that are being tied up. So we are going to have a little bit of both today. The Vikings made another depth signing on their offensive line. It was a re-signing. It's not particularly flashy, but somebody's got to fill that role on the roster. And they also had a potential backup quarterback in for a visit today, uh, or sorry, on Monday, yesterday, as you're listening to this but he left without a deal. We also, as always, have prospect a day and a little bit more draft stuff for you to enjoy and consume. So let's jump into the news of the day. And that is that Brett Jones is going to be a Viking again. If you recall last season during a preseason when it became clear that Pat Elfline wasn't going to be ready for the start of the season, the Vikings flipped a seventh round pick in 2019 for Brett Jones and he started a few games while Pat Elfline got back to form and allowed the Vikings to not have to rush that along. So he's back, and he's probably going to actually compete to start, I think, in in more of a like formality-type way, because I don't think he's good enough to start uh, on in the interior of the offensive line as a run blocker. As a pass blocker, I really like him. As a run blocker, I don't think he's starting quality. I think he's barely even rosterable quality. Uh, so, you know, apply your priorities appropriately, but they're going to still want to get somebody to be like more of an anointed starter. So I I don't think this changes their draft plans at all. And I think the Vikings kind of get together before the offseason starts and they plan all this out and they say, you know, somebody was going to be the Brett Jones role. And they were, you know, constructing their draft strategy with that in mind, whether that was Brett Jones or Tyler Shatley or someone else, they were going to get some depth here. So I don't think this this changes their draft strategy at all from what it was earlier in the offseason. So let's talk a little bit about Brett Jones, because he's somebody that some people would always bring up during the season and even after it, like, hey, why didn't that guy start more? Like, I thought he was really good, and everybody was really excited to get him for a seventh-round pick. I certainly was. I certainly thought it was a great value deal, and I still think it is. I think a seventh-round pick for an offensive line that almost assuredly will make your team is better than you would get for any seventh-round offensive line you'd actually pick in the draft. And similarly, keeping that guy on for the veteran minimum is about as cheap as you can possibly get for filling that role. So from a cost angle, there's really nothing to complain about here. And then it's just a matter of, is Brett Jones good enough to be that swing backup? Is Are things going to be okay if, say, Josh Klein, you know, twists an ankle and has to sit out for four games or even just a quarter and you need somebody to limp you through to halftime? Is he going to be okay? So let's talk a little bit about Brett Jones and how good he is. The other piece of news, again, is that Sean Mannion came in for a visit. He left without a deal. Uh, that doesn't really move the needle. We already kind of talked about Sean Mannion, the idea of competition for Sloter and all that. So I'm going to leave that aside for now until something else moves there. But let's talk a little bit about Brett Jones. So I did a little bit of film stuff. I'll link it all in the show notes. I just posted a couple of gifts of the, the problem with Brett Jones, the real issue in his blocking that makes him 
unstartable, I guess, in my opinion, or at least in the Vikings' opinion. I actually don't really agree with them not starting him because of this, but it is an unstartable issue, and that's the can't climb to the second level on run plays. I'm completely fine with him as a pass protector. I think he's fairly solid. He doesn't get beat a lot. The Vikings did a lot to hide him because, I mean, he was a backup. He didn't really know the scheme and stuff. So they basically put him on double teams every play or used protection schemes where he wouldn't have to go one-on-one very often at all during games. And so it did a good job of, like, hiding him and how new he was. And I think they don't have to do that anymore. And I think he'll be just fine based on his tape with the Giants. I thought he was a pretty good pass protector. And the data supports that too. He did not give up very many pressures. But as a run blocker, he's very, very suspect. And and part of that is that I just don't really like his footwork. There was one gif uh, that uh, of a reach block in the thread. Go check it out in the show notes so that you can kind of follow along the third one down. Uh, it was a reach block. And what a reach block is, I've explained it a couple times, but in case you missed that, it's where you line up on one side of the defender. Say the defender is lined up to your left. Then you have to cross all the way over his face so you're getting on the left side of him when he was on your left before and then turn around and block him and like seal him off the other way. And it's a really difficult step to do because you have to move like all the way across someone's face and then get your hands on them all the while they're trying to get past you. And there, there's one play, it's from the Week 2 Packers game where Brett Jones started, where he tries to do that, but his first step isn't nearly wide enough, and he ends up having to take, so so the, the footwork is that you take one step with your, call it inside foot, or the foot like on the side you're supposed to go, so if, you know, in, in this play, I think it's Muhammad Wilkerson, is lined up on the left of Brett Jones, so with his left foot, you're supposed to take a big wide step to kind of like even yourself out and bring yourself to like more centered with the defensive lineman, and then with your second foot, your your behind foot that you drag behind you, right foot in this case, you can kind of like get set up and set a base and then you're in a reasonable spot. But Brett Jones doesn't take a big enough step that first time. So instead of being able to just kind of like set a good base and like narrow your feet a little bit and be nice and solid, he has to cross his foot all the way across his body and now he has no leverage. I mean, cross your feet and stand up and then have somebody try to push you over. You're not going to put up a whole lot of resistance. So it takes him too long to like get reset after that whole tangle and then the guy blows by him and almost gets a tackle for a loss and makes Dalvin Cook have to break a tackle. It's really bad. That doesn't show up nearly as often though as this problem, which is climbing to the second level. So if you think about like a typical blocking formation, say you've got your five offensive linemen and a tight end, that's six, they have four defensive linemen, that's kind of leaves you two guys left over. And their job is going to be to get past the whole trenches and get past the defensive line, get into the second level where the linebackers are and start sealing them off so that if the running back gets past the defensive line, he doesn't immediately just get tackled by a linebacker. So you ask your center to do this very often, And put simply, Brett Jones has just always been very bad at this particular job, and he's a lot better when asked to block a guy right in front of him. He he doesn't really, like, sift through the crowd very much. I mean, it gets really tight in there, right? There's legs, people stepping on, pushing all over each other, and you need to be kind of fluid to get through it, and he is not fluid at that at all, and he just doesn't really have that, like, lateral agility where you just kind of see all the time he's like chasing a linebacker that ends up making the tackle. And his guy ends up making the tackle a ton, especially as you go through the tape of those first three games where Brett Jones actually played. So that's what kind of kept him on the bench. And I think it'll keep him on the bench again. I don't think it makes him unrosterable because he's good enough at all the other stuff that it makes him like a decent player. But as a backup, I don't think he's really going to be able to ascend past that. And the Vikings still need a guy to actually start at left guard. 
So again, check out the film uh, where I kind of that, that I'm like citing here in the show notes. But for now, I'm going to step away to an ad break, and when I come back, we'll talk about prospect of the day, and we'll kind of shift gears and go back to the draft stuff that we've been doing for like the last couple weeks. I'll see you guys in a second. All right, let's move on to the, some of this draft stuff, and we're going to start with the prospect of the day. And we're going to talk about a fun one today. I was torn between talking about him and Jay Sternberger yesterday. I decided to go with Sternberger, especially because he came to me in the mock draft Monday. So I figured that that would be appropriate. But now I want to talk really in depth about a guy that I see mocked to the Vikings sometimes in some weird situations. Most of the time he goes before the Vikings. And I think in real life he will too. But in the event that he falls, he's a defender that I think it would actually be worth taking over some offensive linemen. Uh, and the guy I'm talking about is Ed Oliver out of Houston. He is a freak. And he is an extremely polarizing and hard-to-figure-out prospect because he, he doesn't come in the typical package that you see interior defensive linemen come in in the draft. I mean, look at a guy like Christian Wilkins. He's kind of the other real, like, or like even Quinnen Williams, right? Quinnen Williams is the classic interior offensive line or interior defensive lineman, like, have good pass rush moves, really be a force in the run game, shoot gaps, have moves, beat people, have the right size and length and technique. And, and like, really, he's a technician, uh, Quinn and Williams. That's why he's going to go top five. And so he, like, really fits that mold. And I think Ed Oliver has every bit the amount of talent that Quinn and Williams has, but he doesn't have the build. He doesn't have the size. So he's turned into this like really polarizing player where some people say, listen, he's good at football. Watch him play football. You can tell he's good at it. And some people that say like, listen, he played SMU and Tulane all throughout, throughout his whole career because he was at Houston. And the second he goes up against real time NFL offensive linemen, they're going to swallow him up. I don't care how good your technique is. People have 50, 60 pounds on you. And I think that history shows us that like lighter people can win against offensive linemen if they have technique. So that's where I like personally fall on it. But let's talk a little bit more about specifics. So what what makes Ed Oliver so good despite his lack of size? Like he played under 280 and you really, really want a an interior defensive lineman to be at least 285. If he's going to play nose, you want him to be over 300. But at, at three tech, you know, 285 is like a minimum threshold and he probably played lighter than that. And, you know, he gained a bunch of weight for the combine, but that kind of thing, you know, they, they'll lose that weight by the time they're actually playing. So you kind of can't really trust it. And like, did they just like pack on a bunch of random pounds and then, you know, not go to the bathroom for three days. <laughs> and then by the time the combine's over, they're, you know, suddenly back 10 pounds lighter than when they weighed in like two seconds later or in Ed, Ed, in Ed Oliver's case, it was the pro day, but still. But, like, what made him good at penetrating despite being so small? And I think part of it is just this explosive burst. And you see it in the tested agility, too. You know, the broad jump he, and the vertical jump he crushed. He crushed all the agility drills at his pro day. Like, he put out this crazy, freaky numbers. And he's truly, like, an athletic specimen. I think the word freak gets thrown around too too often. But he would be the kind of guy that you would describe that way. That he is just, like a rare human. You just don't see him built that way very often. And so how that manifests itself is in the burst off of the line of scrimmage, right? So the ball is snapped and there's all kinds of, I'll see if I can find one and, and link it in the show notes. Maybe, maybe not, but like there's when the play starts and then there's when the play starts for Ed Oliver. 
And usually the latter happens before the former. The play starts for Ed Oliver before it starts for everybody else. And part of that is I think sometimes he's timing the snap and he's guessing, and that can be dangerous. It's a game Everson Griffin plays, and it works for him very often, but it leads to offsides too. But part of that is him just being so athletic that he can fly off of the line of scrimmage and get you know ready to engage just faster than all the other humans can because he can just get up out of his stance faster. And that's really, really valuable. I don't care if you have 100 pounds on a guy. If he is... If he has his hands into your chest before you can even get your your base set up, you're going to get blown back. And the other part of this is that he he penetrates and shoots through the gap so quickly that like even if you have 100 pounds on him, like, like I said, like you can't get your hands on him and actually get him swallowed up like you're supposed to. And again, the worry is that in the NFL they'll be a little better at this, but like he just flies through the gap and he's behind you before you can even try to block him. And now he's disrupting the play and he's made something happen. And that tested athleticism does show that it's probably not going to be that easy for NFL offensive linemen. Like, he ranks in, you know, the 90th percentile in all of the different tested athleticism things, which, you know, compares them to all the other linemen, defensive linemen that have been drafted. Now, his size does show up sometimes when he's double teamed or when he's down blocked. You know, he can kind of get washed away sometimes in the run game. But if you let him get into a gap, he's going to get through that gap. And that is not something that is commonly true of defensive linemen. And having a defensive lineman that that's true of, that you just like have, like imagine him being on the Vikings, for example, and playing in that three technique position and basically telling, you're you're telling the other team, you know, double team this guy and you can wash him away. And if not, he's going to destroy someone. And so they have to double team him. And think about that on the Vikings. You are now double teaming the guy who is not Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter, or Linval Joseph on the Vikings defensive line. It would be insane. And it worked really well with Sheldon Richardson, you know, having like a superstar three tech there. The Vikings were able to generate pressure really, really well all season. And having him there, I mean, he would be a fixture on the line forever. And he also, he comes out of a weird stance. So even like having a good coach like Andre Patterson could, you know, possibly unlock a little bit more technique out of him and and give him a uh, an even more explosive get off. Now I've talked about in the past I talked about with Renell Wren yesterday in Mock Draft Monday. He was in our Mock Draft Monday the defensive lineman out of ASU. Uh, you know, we talked about like the Vikings priorities at three technique and the big get off and a good first step is a big one. And I don't think there's anybody in this draft with a better one than Ed Oliver. And to add to that, you know, all I've talked about is the first couple steps where he gets off the line of scrimmage and made it seem like, ah, you know, if you can catch up to him right off the bat, you got him. But he has very, very sudden and violent hands, which means that he can get his hands off you and then get by you because he's so explosive. So you really have to be tenacious to stop him. And he has probably more tenacity than you. Like, against all of the offensive linemen he goes against, like, he is just more tenacious than you, and he has more go than you, and he has more motor than you, and that's something that really makes NFL coaches fall in love. So I don't think that I'm the only one who thinks this. I I don't think that NFL teams are going to disagree with me very much on this, and I think he's going to be gone well before the Vikings pick. But if he does get there, I know he's a defensive lineman, and I know the Vikings have this huge need at guard and at tackle and stuff, and and I understand, you know, I, I would be thrilled if they picked Jonah Williams or Garrett Bradbury or any of those guys that we've been talking about. But if Ed Oliver is there, just go get him. It's simple as that. He can destroy a gap. He can destroy a play all on his own. He flows from side to side well enough. He can get off of a block with his hands. Yeah, he's probably not bigger or stronger than the guy across from him, but he's really good at making that not matter. So that's going to do it for my Ed Oliver rant uh, for today. Uh, real quick, just a quick reminder about where you can find a show like this. 
Uh, you can find it on the Himalaya podcast app as well as all the other apps, but Himalaya is something you should really check out. There are so many podcasts out there. There's all kinds of volume. There's a ton of Vikings podcasts like Norse Code and the Football Machine at Zone Coverage, all those other ones that I'm a fan of, not to mention keeping up with the daily show like this or like Score North, which uploads daily, and other sports and, and like full-on NFL podcasts like Around the NFL or Locked On NFL or Locked On NFL Draft and other draft podcasts like the Draft Wrap and stuff like that. There's all kinds of volume, and that's just with football. Forget it if you're other sports fans or if you like true crime or anything. There's just so much to keep up with. So Himalaya can help you sort through that. They curate playlists for you and really help you kind of like narrow down what you want to listen to. And there's all kinds of new features being added all the time because it's a new app that's still figuring out all kinds of new cool ideas. Go check it out. Subscribe to Locked On Vikings on there. If you don't like it, we'll still be on Podbean and Stitcher and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and everywhere. But do give it a try. Check it out. See if you like it. All right, let's move on to the namesake of this particular episode, which is where I wanted to identify every single offensive line in the draft that I think is capable of starting day one. And that's not going to be a very long list. I think you have to get one in round one or round two to really get that guy, but that's not going to be a surprise to very many people. The reason I wanted to do this is, A, because I know you guys are never going to get sick of offensive line content. I have learned that. But also because genuinely that is the only real, like, missing starter on the whole roster. Everybody else, there's ways to improve. You know, I'm not particularly satisfied with Shamar Stefan. I'm not particularly satisfied with, like, the wide receivers behind Diggs and Thielen. But those needs, as we kind of discussed in a previous episode, those needs are different than their guard need because they do not have a... Brett Jones doesn't fill check this box for me. They do not have enough starting caliber guards or guys who are even remotely close to starting caliber guards. And so I wanted to just, I wanted to expand it to the whole offensive line and just say, okay, in this draft, how many names are out there that the Vikings could draft and they could plug into their offensive line and play? And and whether or not that means moving Riley Reef to guard because it's a tackle, whatever, we're going to go over the tackles too and just kind of like understand that it comes with a little bit of an additional cost. So the tackles have to be like that much better than a guard would have to be who could just slot into the hole like more comfortably. But I wanted to just go through the entire class. So we're going to start with the interior guys because, you know, that's the thing. The first guy I'm going to talk about is Garrett Bradbury. He is somebody that has been talked about as like the perfect zone blocking center. He's got a little bit of a a reading problem, a little bit of a like mental kind of, you know, getting everybody's assignments across issue. And that's been something that kind of they struggled with at NC State. And it's something that Elfline struggles with too. So you wouldn't be able to improve on that really all that much. But at the same time, he's young and, and, you know, both players are young and hopefully one of them can pick it up. He has a little bit of a strength issue in his own scheme that's not like a bad enough one where it would still show up in his own scheme if you tried to convert him to a power scheme where he has to like overpower guys one-on-one all the time. That would probably be an issue. With the Vikings, they're never going to ask him to do that, so it's not going to show up nearly as often. Moving on, I'm going to talk a little bit. This is in no particular order, by the way. I'm going to talk about Cody Ford. We already talked about him in the first Mock Draft Monday because he was our uh, first first round pick in one of those. If you recall, he doesn't quite have the build to play tackle. He should move to guard. He played tackle in college, but like should move to guard. And he has some issues here and there, some technique things that need to get worked out. But ultimately, he's ready to kind of plug and play right out of the box. He has a bunch of technique technique issues, like with his footwork, with his kick slides, and and issues with length length and stuff that would all really show up if he played tackle. And if you move him to guard, he still has the athleticism and the right kind of build to play guard. 
and would probably be able to make that transition without too much trouble. And a lot of the issues he has would be kind of erased by moving him there because his specific problems are the specific kinds of problems that would only show up at the tackle position. Next up, I'm going to talk about Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College. I haven't talked about this guy a lot at all, and it's because he never comes up in mock drafts because he's kind of the same thing as like we've talked about that like talent cliff issue or where like you don't have exact change, that issue that the Patriots are dealing with at tight end right now. This is why the Vikings and Chris Lindstrom don't really line up. It's that he usually goes in between like 30 and 40 and the Vikings pick at 18 and 50. So moving to that particular area of the draft where Chris Lindstrom makes sense would be really difficult. So I don't think it'll happen just because of the way the draft is the draft is mapped out. But that's not to say that he isn't a very good player. He does have this weird thing where he played at Boston College, which did a lot to hide offensive line and use rollouts and play action and all kinds of weird stuff to like make it a difficult evaluation but like when you watch him there's no problems that stick out and a lot of it is because you know he was not asked to do things as often that would highlight those problems if they did exist so there's a little bit of risk to it but he seems to be the kind of lineman that's like scheme immune is I guess what I'd call it where he has the power and the strength and to really work in a manpower scheme but if you wanted to do more zone stuff or more pulling or more kind of like mobile things he, he can get off the line of scrimmage very quickly he get out of the blocks quickly get to a spot and really like get into somebody he plays with the right kind of tenacity the right competitive toughness and I think he could be a day one starter pretty much on any team here in the NFL but because of where he played in Boston College you can't know that for sure enough and so he doesn't ascend to the same ranks as like Garrett Bradbury and Cody Ford and like Jonah Williams and all those guys up at, up top he's kind of seen as the next tier the day two round two type guys going to move on here to Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M. I, I think that he is the kind of guy who can excel, especially in the Vikings zone scheme. He has that same mobility. He tested unbelievably at the, comb at the combine. He has all the athleticism you could want. He does have some technique technique issues. He gets he gives up his chest. He concedes his chest a little bit too often, and that means guys can get into him and make all that mobility not matter because now he's lost the leverage battle, and so he's going to just get blown back. Uh, and he has some other like sloppy technique footwork stuff that that needs to be worked on. I think he could start in the NFL day one. I wouldn't if I could help it, but if I couldn't help it, I wouldn't really cry very much about it. I think he could come in and start and he'd probably have a, a struggle here and there in his rookie season, but not enough to like ruin him a la like TJ Clemmings or anything like that. I just think he has a little bit more to learn. And if you can help it, keep him on the bench until year two, and then he can be a starter for a really, really long time. All that hand stuff is also kind of exacerbated by a little bit of a wingspan length issue, which isn't so bad on the interior as it would be like on the outside. Um, but he mostly played center. So that kind of shouldn't already should be like accounted for like that already shouldn't be showing up and it still is so it's something to like maybe worry about but I still think he could be a starter pretty quickly in the NFL and the last interior guy I'm going to talk about is Elgton Jenkins uh, he comes out of Mississippi State and he has a few too many problems for me to be super comfortable if the Vikings end up with him as like the highest offensive lineman that they took I would be pretty nervous but I do think that he can be a starter within his for his rookie year at least if not day one uh, he does have like some hands issues, but that might have come from snapping. He played center, and if you move him to guard and take the ball out of his hands, you know, you might be able to get his hands there a little bit. Because it's like the problem was that his hands were always late, so he would concede his chest, much like Eric McCoy. So if you could get his hand off the ball and get it into the dirt instead, where it could just come right directly onto the lineman instead of having to worry about the snap first, he might be able to work on that issue. And if he can work on that issue, then he's a starter, no question. He's probably a first round value that you'd get in like the third round. And that's like best case scenario, right? 
So I'm putting him on this list, like, hesitantly. I don't feel very confident about it, but I guess I should err on the side of talking about guys versus not talking about guys. So that's it for the interior linemen that are day one starter ready, or at least close to day one starter ready. I think that's, what, five guys? That's a pretty deep class, and I feel like it shouldn't be very hard for the Vikings to get one of those guys if they truly prioritize it. So let's move on and talk about the tackles a little bit. Uh, the first guy I'm going to talk about, obviously, is Jaywan Taylor. I think he's become kind of the consensus number one tackle in the draft. He'll probably go top 10. I, I haven't really talked about him a lot on this podcast just because I don't really think there's a reasonable world in which he falls to the Vikings. If he did, I mean, sprint to the podium, obviously. But, like, he was a dominant right tackle at Florida against all the big-time competition, and there wasn't really a lot, like, to worry about with that. Uh, I'm going to move on to Andre Dillard, who I did talk about yesterday in the Mock Draft Monday, so I'll keep it quick, but just as a refresher, he has all the athletic talent in the world, but he has a couple too many problems from a technique perspective for me to be super comfortable with him as like a day one starter. I think he can. I think he belongs on this list, but he belongs on this list, but be concerned about it. And I think it's okay to have guys on this list and then say, but I'd be kind of worried about it, but he probably would start right away. Like he wouldn't lose the job to Brett Jones or anything like that. Moving on to Jonah Williams, somebody I've already also talked about at length, so I'll keep it quick, but he is very much to me the epitome of like ready to play out of the box at tackle or at guard and I think it just depends on the team that drafts him and what they need the Vikings need a guard I think they just move him to guard and it'd be really easy and he could just go right in and like prosper there and I think he could be a starter there for 10 years or move back outside to tackle if you decide you want to do that instead of sticking with Riley Reef or doing something else at the position depending on what's available when that decision comes down the pipe I think he gives you all the options he's ready out of the box I think his technique is more polished than a lot of the guys in this draft he might be the most polished lineman in this whole draft so I think it and it seems like the way the draft is falling you know especially if teams like value guys like Dillard and guys you know like Eric McCoy even that have like all the athletic talent in the world but maybe don't have the technique polished away and they'll shirk somebody like Jonah Williams who still don't get me wrong has plenty of athletic talent he crosses all the thresholds he's fine in terms of like what the Vikings typically look for in linemen but if, you know, teams value that Andre Dillard or like the way that Colton Miller got valued last year, you know, those like jocks with upside over more polished players, there's a chance that he falls to the Vikings and and that would be like Christmas falling directly in your lap. And the last guy I'm going to talk about in this category of can come in and start right away is Dalton Risner, who I've actually not talked about very much, although he's been kind of a popular figure on Vikings Twitter for sure. He fits that same mold as Cody Ford as somebody who played tackle but has some issues in like pass sets and some hand issues and stuff that like would be offset by moving him inside to guard, and I think that's probably where he belongs. And he's just been one of the better linemen in college for quite a while, and he's going to be 24 when... He's drafted, and that's a little bit of an issue, but I'm not particularly worried about that. Like, that's not the kind of thing that I'm going to worry about too much. I think he's also, like, ready out of the box, come in, play him at left guard and prosper, and now your line is fixed. So I think that Risner fits that mold. So that is all that I'm going to talk about today. That's nine players that I think if the Vikings got any single one of them, their problems are solved, or at least will be solved come the end of the year or come next season. I, I think that really they have those guard spots filled if they get one of those nine guys and you can feel fairly comfortable with it. there's some guys you know like Dillard or or like McCoy that would kind of concern me a little bit that I'm not as big of a fan of as like Jonah Williams or like if Jaywan Taylor miraculously fell to the Vikings that's not going to happen but you know what I mean 
Um, and there's some guys, you know, some guys I feel better about, some guys I feel worse about. But those would be the nine players that I think. I think if you don't get one of those nine players, you can safely say, okay, the position was just not addressed. And they just elected to go into the season without, like, a viable left guard. And then we can talk about the merits of that decision. So that is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show on Himalaya. Go check that out. If you don't like Himalaya, it's okay. You can still find it on Podbean, Stitcher, asking your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll all work out just fine. And as always, skull.